everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Zach on Film, the episode I almost didn't think was going to happen. I am Zach on Film. Across from me is Steven Schleicher. So, uh, Zach, yeah. if you see them, you can get away from them because mm-hmm. they walk mm-hmm. at normal speed. Yeah, we would be screwed in your basement, though. Yeah, you always want to make sure any building you're in yeah. has two exits. Right. All the way across the internet, Matthew Peterson. So it, it could look like someone you know, or it could be a stranger in a crowd. Whatever helps it get close to you. Today, we are continuing our horror streak of films by watching uh, one I've actually wanted to watch a while and kept kind of pestering Stephen about for a while. The 2014 hit horror film, It Follows. Oh, it's a beautiful little story about a girl who's in love with a boy, (laughs) and they are in love with each other, and they have sex, and then suddenly he drugs her, knocks her out, and then she wakes up tied to a chair, and he's like, listen, there's this thing. That when you have sex with someone, it starts to follow you, and if it touches you, you're going to die. So you got to have sex with someone else right away as soon as possible so it'll pass us along, and then that person has to have sex with someone else and so on and so on and so forth until it goes all the way down the line, and then if that person never has sex, we're all in trouble. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so It Follows is, uh, the general premise is a thing. We'll call it it, it I guess. Yeah. Comes it, after yeah. the last person to have coitus. It follows her. Follows with the last her, person yeah. to have coitus. Yeah, and it's just a slow, steady walker. It'll look like anything, but it's going to yeah. try to kill you. Well, sometimes they look like something. Yeah. Sometimes they look like, you know, your dead dad. Or like a Some... like a really, really tall man. Yeah, like the tall man really one is pretty scary. Man. Sometimes yep. they stand on your roof for reasons which are I know. That was weird. I didn't even because get up can. there. I didn't climb. It can. It can. Yeah, I tried to get but, Aubrey to watch this movie, and I saw I showed her the trailer, which I hadn't really watched. I just knew about it. Yeah. And there's that one shot of the very tall man in the hallway at the beginning of the film, and yeah. she just screamed, and I stopped the trailer, <laughs> and I go, all right, I'll watch it by myself. Like, nope. <laughs> I had the opposite problem. I sat down to watch this, and my wife is like, what is this? What, what is, what is this? Should have made your daughter watch it. Oh, don't do that. No, no. It's I, too I, early. I like to have her actually sleep. My yeah. wife was like, "This," but, I, and she finally ended up sitting down and watching the whole thing with me and screaming and, and <laughs> yelling and going, "Oh my god, this is so good!" Yeah, I will say, um, of the horror movies that I haven't, we haven't watched in the series, or that I haven't, uh, which was Get Out's the only one I've only watched before this. All oh, right, right. Um, this is terrifying and just an incredibly good film. So the the thing is that for those of you who have not seen this film and really spoilers uh, if you if you haven't really should watch yeah. the movie. But um yeah, you... the thing is it that follows you the only people that can see it are the people who have had sex uh yeah. with you, right? right? So the for example who are in the the chain of screaming. Basically. Yeah, the the people who are in the chain of death get to see it. So all of your friends you can say uh, do you see that person over there? And they can look over and go, what are you, what are you talking about? You're crazy. Uh, and so then that's how you know it's following you because no one else can see it, which I think added kind of a cool level to the story because it, once you know that it's just following you in the background and it shows up, you start really paying attention to all the extras and you start to try to pick out the ones that are walking towards the camera in any given shot. Mm-hmm. And that makes it even scarier. Well, cause there's like a very specific 
cadence that they generally walk out right. throughout the entire film. Right. Well, because the rules, which the problem is, the pro- there's a big problem with this movie in that the it doesn't follow its own rules, right? Sure. Because they do say that it never runs, it always walks, and then towards the end of the movie, these things are getting violent and throwing things around. Now, they're not running, but they're still not acting like we see them in the beginning. Yeah, which is interesting right. because when... Um, Quentin Tarantino was asked, I think in 2015, what his favorite film was mm-hmm. that year. He said it follows, but he was upset that the movie didn't follow his the own rules that yeah. it kind of established. And a lot of horror movies fall to that because, yeah, I mean, uh, you drive far enough away and it's going to take this thing a long time to walk to you, right? Mm-hmm. And right. even then, I don't know how far they drive when they go up to the to the lakeside. But if that's five or six hours away, something's not going to show up in a day and a half. Mm-hmm. So there's some of that that's a little weird, too. Well, yeah. But the thing that is really fascinating about it is when you're watching this, this can actually pull you into the point where, at least for me, my brain was like, Should, shouldn't we? Okay, there's something going on here. And it would pull me away from that. And occasionally I would think, it should be here by now, or she's been in the house long enough that it should be back. Mm-hmm. Why is it not coming together? And you know, where, where is it at this point? And that actually kind of intentionally or unintentionally plays into that psychological horror and the suspense of, Oh my God. Oh my God. Is that, is that it? Yeah. Is it, it must be it. It just smashed in her boyfriend's window and it's leaping through baby. Right. Ooh. That is, um, that sequence is the <clears throat> you you think it would be consistent, right? If if, yeah. if you know Monster A travels from point C to D <laughs> in a constant five minutes, you should be able to figure right. out how long it'll always take. Yeah. But that yeah. scene after uh, our main character Jay has sex with her friend Greg mm-hmm. to try to delay her death and kind of get another person on her side. Anyways, it like takes I don't know a couple of days to finally get there. I can't remember. Was it that yeah. was that right after the lake? Or was that that was yeah that, that was right, right after, after the, the lake. lake yeah that was right after the so lake. however long it took to get to the lake it found her yeah and then she went home from the lake well she well crashed she wound her car, she wound up in the hospital yeah. crashed her car wound up in the hospital so theoretically it couldn't find her or couldn't get to her quickly in the hospital right and then she went home and while she was in the hospital she you know did the thing and then when she went home it finally made its way there so the question then becomes how far away is the hospital. Well, you know, you figure the they would be in the hospital that's close to where the accident took place. It's not like they're well, driving all the way back to Detroit <laughs> to, uh, you know, to go take her to the hospital. Okay, so there's... And that's definitely a small, weird, small-town hospital where they don't close oh, their windows. Yeah. There is a lot of individual subjects that I need to talk about this movie because I pretty much just thought about it constantly and read <laughs> everyone's opinions on the film after I watched it. Yeah. The first one... Okay. Is a question I have for the both of you. When we don't know. In what year does <laughs> it follows know. take place? We do not know what year <laughs> um, it takes place. It is it, it is intentionally yeah, ambiguous. My my theory is that it is outside of time. They use cell phones. They use But it feels Do they do they have cell phones or is it just that one tablet reader yeah, thing that has Wi Fi? The little I clamshell reader thought thing. that she, when she was trying to call him to get out of the house, that she used no. her cell phone. I think it was a. I think they're all 
corded phones. Well, they Cord, might be. Yeah. But the, but her it, friend uses a clamshell yeah. e-reader that yeah. has a touch screen. Right. And in, I went back in the beginning of the movie after I watched it because it freaked me out the entire time. She has a yeah. Wi-Fi signal. Yeah. Okay. So, but, but this is the thing. It it feels like the 80s in terms of the yes. fashion. And and the the furniture and the appliances and that frickin' corded phone in the kitchen that we keep seeing prominently framed when she's, you know, wandering about her house. But the vehicles feel like they're from the nineties. Well, my wife says, Oh, yeah. this is like nineteen ninety two because look at the cars. Here's here's my theory about all this. Because this is taking place in Detroit, that is economically depressed. Because I was thinking the thing that tipped me off to it was, oh, they have a giant console TV. Why do they have a black and white sitting on top of it? And I figured, oh, Zach's going to ask about that. And I was like, well, because the console is a huge piece of furniture that's hard to move. So when it goes out, you just pop the other TV on top, right? Exactly. Uh, when the TV breaks, you put another TV on top. Yeah, and that's <laughs> just the way it is. But you you have that economic depression that's going on in Detroit because they're literally talking about, oh, this is why we never go out to eight mile or this yeah. is why we're we never, never allowed to be. No. Yeah. This is why we're never allowed to get close to Detroit. And they go through, you know, the, the most depressed areas of the city that are burned out, that are, you know, shells. And you go online now, Zach, I don't know if you've done this, but you can go online and find, you know, just street views of Detroit where it's like, Oh, this used to be where quote unquote rich people lived in their big expensive homes. And these are all abandoned and yeah, their shells and people go and people go and do yep. uh, the urban exploring and take pictures of these places that you could buy a house that would have cost. That would be like a $500,000 house. You can buy it for like $12,000. Mm-hmm. So are you so suggesting my this film takes place now? I, I think it does take place now or at the time that, you know, the movie 2014 in 2014, but the reason why everything is set back is just because of the poverty. Okay, so I still think I, this movie takes place outside of time. And there's I, I think that Zach's theory has has merit. Well, okay, so and this was pointed out to me by someone another article was that what season does this movie take place in? Uh, fall. Okay. So okay, but, it's fall, but she's swimming in a yeah, bathing suit. Yeah, in, and in, never in, cold. In Detroit. Well, right. Detroit's um, way north. I know. That that's the other thing that doesn't make a whole lot of sense because, <laughs> yeah. but there are there's I mean you have you can have and again uh, our friends in Canada were saying oh back in August our trees were changing color yeah. and I'm like well they're just barely starting to do it here barely so it can be August and you can have a lazy dog day of summer mm-hmm. and it can be really warm to be going swimming because again school's in session too right sure school's in session she's swimming. And she's gonna have a heat of They pool. also wear a lot of coats, but yeah. the trees are green. And like at one point, one dude at the very end of the film, a guy's raking leaves. Yeah. And so I, th- right, so. I, I think someone compared the the time situation and it follows to the confusion Stanley Kubrick tries to make in The Shining, based off the layout of the hotel and mm. just like the weirdness that he puts mm-hmm, in there. Mm-hmm. So someone was putting forth like. Who I'm gonna tell the, the director's name because mad props to David Robert Mitchell uh, that he was intentionally trying to confuse people yeah. on what like yeah. the set because they were watching like it, black and white monster movies from like the 50s. Yeah, right. He, he states he says that I'm not and, and so people were and this goes into is it a metaphor for STD AIDS mm-hmm. HIV and he's like I'm really not interested in where it come from to, uh, to me. 
it's dream. It's uh, the movie is dream logic in a sense that they're in a nightmare. And when you're in a nightmare, exactly. there's no solving the nightmare, even if you try to solve it. Oh, OK. That so we said exactly that I saw what I saw one quote from him that said he got the idea from one of his dreams as a, as a child yeah. where he this like yep. scenario happened to him where he would see a person walking to him, but no one would ever actually see it. Right. Right. And yeah. That, so uh, this that is he is says it's dream logic. Yeah, yeah, that's what's successful about it is because it is that dream logic. It's that thing that you can't figure out. And no matter what happens, it keeps going on. And, you know, is it day? Is it night? Is it, you know, the high school you you grew up in? Is it a house that was down the street? It's all of those things and more. And that, I think, is what really helps to make this such a universally scary sort of thing. Right. Because as you go through this, it, it's walking after her. And the times when it disappears, you're like, oh, is that a gap in logic or is that just, oh, well, you know, your dream kind of went somewhere else for a minute, but it's going to come back. And you get to the end of that, that final sequence. I have no idea what that building is where we see that final showdown. Is It looks it's like an Detroit. abandoned insane asylum. No, it's thing. a Detroit swimming pool. It's like a, like a Y or an old high yeah. school or something like that. But if it's abandoned... Why is it full? Abandoned. Why is it full? I don't think it's. I don't think it's abandoned. They have power. I don't think it's abandoned. How do they get in then? They just they walk just in. Break in? Yeah, they just break in. I don't think so. And it's up on a hill. Somewhere. Hey, look. So autocomplete. Detroit swimming right pool. It follows. it follows. Of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, I was constantly thinking about it through the film, basically because uh, Jay's friend is constantly reading this. Uh, was it Tarkovsky? novel and flipping on this touchscreen i'm like why is no one talking about this yeah, yeah. and then what really like really frustrated me is when she's leaving the lake house and she gets in like like the 1970s car yeah and is driving away yeah. and i've just kind of just told myself this movie is clearly in the 80s and then she like uh, like a clearly like a 2008 Ford F-150 is about ready to back into her. And I just threw up my hands and I said, I give up. Yeah. I do not know what time this takes place. No, I think if you, if you go with uh, the director's logic of this is a, they're all trapped in a nightmare, then it doesn't matter. Yeah. So you can throw logic, you can throw logic out the window. Right. Exactly. Which is terrifying. And I think that trying to apply logic actually does damage the film itself. It damages the narrative. Which is great because... I think especially with horror movies, I mean, probably just any movie in general, we try to break down the inherent flaws of, like, where things are. Like, this doesn't make sense. How can this person get from this? I do it in Game of Thrones all the time because they, I think, have teleporters because none of it makes sense yeah. constantly. Yeah. But with this, if it is just a dream or, like, it's just a wackadoo universe that yeah. nothing makes sense, then... Everything makes sense because if you break it down individually, mm, and, and none of it makes sense. You know, like you can't, I can't explain anything. But that, okay, so I got to so get it out of my brain. So it makes it, it makes it more scary as, as yeah, it's definitely said. scarier. It does. It makes it inexplicable. I mean, when she and Greg do the thing in, in well, they, they do that literally, they do the thing. They, they have sex. Uh, they have sex. Awesome. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm like, is she, she's dreaming, right? Because there's no buildup, there's no setup for it, there's no dialogue leading into it. Nothing other than the fact that this is a story about how if you have sex with somebody, they take on. Yeah, but the they'd curse. already they'd already talked about it though in previous scenes. But they had, but there was no setup. I mean, it just sort of happened. We we get that weird scene. Isn't that where how sex always happens, where it just just kind of happens? Yeah. 
No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Certainly not when you're 16. And you know something oh, else. <laughs> especially when you're 16. Please <laughs> don't eat. <laughs> something else that I found, you know, very, very uh, important in terms of the whens and the wheres. The technology in the hospital is from a different decade than the uniforms of the personnel in the hospital. Yes. Oh, so was, you're like, again. Oh, my gosh. You've yes. Got, you've got 80s nurses uniforms, but you've got, you know, relatively modern or at least late 90s technology in the hospital. And it it's, gives you this sort of this weird dream logic sort of thing again, where there's there's one thing happening over here. And, of course, all the windows are wide open, which is never going to happen anywhere in the world. It's just freaky. Yeah, I see a lot online. A lot of people are like, whoa, when's the time period is this? <laughs> and everyone's like, don't worry Doesn't about matter. it. Doesn't matter. Don't worry about Doesn't it. Doesn't matter. Yeah. It seems like it should matter because it's well, like such an so 80s here's, but here's the reason soundtrack, why, too. Here's the reason why it doesn't – here's the reason why a director might choose to do this is because Weird. then it doesn't – okay, f- as you said, it – it's never dated, right? Right. Because 20 right. years from now, you watch this film and you'd be like, is this taking place in the 2000s or is this like the 2020s? When does this, mm-hmm. when does the movie take place? So the nice right. thing about that is you do keep it ambiguous as far as time and it keeps it from being dated. And unfortunately, a lot of horror films like we saw with uh, Halloween, oh. that stuff gets dated real fast. Mm-hmm. And, or even and, the the ring felt yeah, super Yeah, and dated. even the ring, yeah. This way, it yeah. doesn't. And the ring is it doesn't feel that way. Halloween. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not only that, if you know, if you have people from different eras, like I'm a, I'm a good 15 years older than you, I think, Zach, maybe more. But I think that from the sound of things, we had a very similar immersive experience here. And sometimes that's hard to do across, you know, those generation gaps or across generations or you know whatever you want to call it, waves of humanity. It can be difficult to create that universality. And by having the ambiguity as to the whens and the wheres, I feel like this movie is successful, you know, for old people like my wife and also for young people like you. So why do you think Detroit? Because it didn't really seem to be a factor in the film that they were in Detroit until they're going to the swimming pool. And then they have this, you know, quick discussion about their parents not allowing them to go across the eight mile to go to the state fair or anything. And it's just like, it seems just something. Well, it didn't, it never seems a warning. It's a warning sign that, Hey, if you're going to Detroit, don't have sex with any hookers from Detroit because you don't know (laughs) who's got it and how it's going to be passed on to you. So really this film is just (laughs) a another nail in the coffin for motor city. The girl's story is, itself a microcosm of the film it is a cautionary tale that she was told you can't go across the eight mile and in the concept in the thought process of you know delivering this narrative and giving you this immediacy but also a weird kind of nebulous whens and wheres the story that she tells doesn't really make a lot of sense in terms of the story of a linear modern filmmaking except, experience. Except they're like, oh, remember when mom and dad used to tell us never go past eight mile because that's where all the bad stuff happens. And then they've gone exactly. past eight mile and they're like, OK, well, there's crazy horror stuff that's here, too. And we're past the eight mile. We've been past it since we've been in high school or whatever. It's not that big of a deal. Right. So right. that could be a story that's put in there to say, as we 
you know, what's the marker for when you become an adult, when you have sex, right, uh, is often right. used as that that transition point, that passage point. So the story of, hey, we've made it past eight mile and we're fine. Mm-hmm. We've had sex and this thing is following me. It's everything's going to be fine. We've dealt with scary situations before. And there are scary stories that people tell you to keep you from doing something. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes you find out that. Hey, sex is fun. Sex is okay. Uh, I don't know why everyone was making such a big deal about it, right? So that could be a reason why they're telling that specific story. Now, why does it still have to be set in Detroit? I don't know, but... Just because, why not? But it's incredibly exactly. cheap to shoot in in Michigan right now. Well, sure. Uh, that's why the Justice League movie shot a lot of stuff there because... Yeah, I think like Transformers and, and stuff. Yeah, because it, yeah. It's, so, it's like dirt cheap to shoot there. Yeah. They, they will let you, you want to blow up half our half our uh, neighborhood. <laughs> Go right ahead. Half of it's ready to be blown up anyway. And I'm not being you know, I'm not picking on people from Detroit or putting them down that you live there. I feel sorry for the way that the city has turned out, especially when you look at the great libraries in Detroit that have just fallen apart because of the economic decline. And I feel I feel bad about it. But the city is trying to do stuff uh, to try to rebuild their economy by saying, hey, come and shoot and destroy this stuff. Because then it's easier for us to bulldoze it away than, you know, for you to go somewhere else and spend lots of money and it keeps our urban decay from falling apart even further. That's mm-hmm. just a fact of life. So I'm not trying to no. put down anyone from Detroit when I make those cracks, but that is kind of the end result of, of what's happening. So through It Follows, and we've mentioned it a couple of times, and it's pretty much the idea I had going into this movie was that it was about a monster STD. <laughs> and so... Ultimately, I don't think that's the point. <laughs> no, and again, and, the director has said yeah. he doesn't really think about it. They're trapped in a nightmare, so, nightmare logic. It can be whatever yeah. you want it to be. Right. But the implication that most audiences apply to this is Monster STD. Monster STD. So, uh, Monster STD is where I started. And then I went to probably like halfway through the film, something like that. I said, I think this might be a commentary on like sexual assault rape culture because we never see the beginning of the film opens up with uh, a girl running out of her house in like her underwear and heels right presumably we find running away from it. it yeah and then we see her dead she drives to the ocean and points her lights at her and sits next to the waves mm-hmm. and essentially is calling her parents telling her loving her and waiting ultimately for this thing to come kill her so she right. didn't pass it on right then right. we see um jay's Hugh. boyfriend Hugh, mm-hmm. uh pass it on to jay right and then jay never passes it unwillingly on to another man she right. every time she passes it it's like a consensual act that they know that is happening yeah but jay and hugh had a consensual in, but not in the sense that like but, it would not, it's not considered consensual sex if you don't reveal to your partner that you have an STD. Well, but she goes and presumably has sex with those guys on the boat. I, okay, so I want to talk about that because I don't think she did. But she swam out there. She definitely swam out there and she swam back and then she had sex with Paul or Greg. What's his name? Mm-hmm. Paul. Right? Paul. Or Paul. Yeah. Right? And so I don't... Greg's she the e- guy from she the either... She either slept with all th- like one yeah. or three of them right and then knew they all died yes or she didn't sleep with them and i think she didn't sleep with them just like i don't think paul slept with any 
of uh, the hookers on the side of the road. Oh no, I def- he definitely did. No, I, that was his I, plan I don't all think along. they both. I, I I think they both did not because they both are being followed by it at the end of the movie. You don't know that they're being followed mm. by something. They're being followed by something or someone. Presumably, the, the idea is that you don't know who that is or what it it's is coming. that's back there. I don't think you they passed it. I don't think they passed it. I don't think she passed it to those guys, and I don't think Paul passed it to those women. That's my but read. That's the thing. That's the brilliance of it because Stephen is certain that you're wrong and that she had sex with the dudes on the boat. And, and then they and they the got killed. Yeah. Oh no. The the prostitute but, ending is like a brilliant ending because it, yeah. it guarantees that it's going to be kept away from from you because if the John the prostitute has sex with doesn't pass it on, the John dies. It goes back to the prostitute where she's going to have sex with somebody, and so it's going to be passed but, on to the next person, and so on and so on and so forth. And you know, prostitute John culture. Sometimes it doesn't matter who the prostitute is. So he, you know, that John could pass it on to another prostitute, on to another John. So no, it's possible from his standpoint. That's a brilliant plan to kind of separate themselves and and save themselves at the end of the movie. No, it's it's very possible. Brilliant plan to murder a stranger. Well, and that goes back. This is intentionally with malice and forethought. Murder a stranger. That is the conversation we had last week with (laughs) Mm -hmm. with the ring, right? Because I said that these two films are super similar to one another. And have that exact same question. Do you knowingly let it, the ring, scary girl, you know, a giant naked guy on top of your roof, come and kill you, kill someone else in order to save yourself? Right. So in the sense, the ring and it follows are kind of the exact same movie. If you it, don't pass it on, you're going to die. Yeah. There is one major difference. The ring makes it explicit that she does. It follows, leaves it ambiguous for someone who is good and kind and sweet, like Zach, <laughs> to say, no, they didn't. And for someone who is a blackened, withered husk of a man, no, but not mentioning any names, Matthew. to say that they did. No, I, I, I'm not. I, that was a cheap shot at you. But it, No, it, I thought it was a cheap shot at a, you. I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about you. It's a valid you. point, oh. though, that both reads are equally legit because I I don't know. I don't have a way to tell you because I feel like at that point, the logic of the film was more impressionistic than anything else. And it's what you want, what you want to take away from it and what you want to bring to it. Both reads are equally valid. The story does not give us information to say Paul went and slept with that prostitute. Jay went and slept with the weirdo frat boys on the boat, but it does lead us to, ask ourselves what is the conclusion of that scene she took off her clothes got into the water and swam towards the boat then we see her coming home later then she consciously makes a decision to have sex with paul the you know the old friend her first kiss after that's like way at the end which you can make the the thing say okay she's Comfortable having sex with Paul now? No, no, because no, 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 no. You're missing the point. She went and had sex with the. No, she went and had sex with the boys. She came back a couple of days later. The monster shows up again. It shows up again, implying that they didn't have sex with someone else, so it killed them and is coming back to her. That's when they go to the pool and do the whole thing, and they think they kill it, and they think they get rid of it. They come back. Paul has this idea of. I know how we can get rid of this monster. We have sex. I will go have sex with with a prostitute, and that will solve our problems. And I'm going 
to tell you now why I think you're wrong. Okay. Because the ending of the, of the movie is with Jay's friend reading the ending of the passage of The Idiot, which right, he's been right. reading this entire time. Right. And I don't want to read it, even though I found it, because it's long. But ultimately, it's about the acceptance that you are going to die. So... It's the acceptance that you're going to die. Right. And I believe that since... Okay, even if... Let's well, I've got, say... I've what's got a simple, I've got a simple answer if, to what you're getting at. Even if they did pass it, yeah. and ultimately is back to them, right? they have made the decision. There's nothing we can do. We're going to die. Someday, we will die. We're going to go through this together. And we're going to be together. Right. And if it's going to get you, it's going to get me. And that's going to be the end of it. So, but, so I think they ultimately accept the idea of the entire story is the inevitability of death and transitioning from childhood to adulthood and, and accepting your fate. And accepting they're your also good so people who didn't so, kill strangers. So here's the thing. If you want to go with that, that story, that's fine because this is a horror story. And if you know your horror films... No one survives but the bad guy and the person who does not have sex. If there's one thing that you've learned <laughs> in all of the on all your horror films that you've watched, your especially your slasher films, that the virgin always always lives, right? Neither one of them are virgins, right? No. If if you go to the point of they're accepting a nihilist point of view that they're all going to die and nothing matters. I mean, it's not a nihilist yeah, point of view. It's just a going fact to accept, we all die. If they're going to accept that they're going to just die yeah. sooner than they want to, and they're embracing that together, then you have a, a you have that downer ending, right? You have a very downer ending where they're walking hand in hand. Oh, see, it's not a it downer is be, ending. It is behind them. It's not a downer ending. Well, they're, you're, the protagonists that you're that you're been rooting for are going to die. Eventually, a, in 40 years. Eventually. No, because there's a thing behind them, you said. Yeah, but they, they constantly know it's there, and they're together, Maybe. and they have you. Look, you can have each other's back now. Boom. Maybe. Yep. They and can both see it. They're holding hands, and they're walking comfortably, and it's clearly back there, and I think they right. know that it's back there. <laughs> but the thing is, if you want to go with a quote-unquote happy ending, then it's been passed on, and they're safe. Even though that thing is always lurking around, and they always know that it's around, it's not going to bother them because okay. you remember when Hugh at the beginning passed it on to to Jay, he's like, do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see it? And he's standing right next to it, waiting for it to reach out and touch him. And when it doesn't touch him, mm-hmm. he's he's kind of happy about that. But he's always seeing it. Right. right. And he even mentions that when they're sitting around in a group, he's like, I'm still seeing it. Right. Yes. And so you can still see it. She has said. Yeah, you can still see it. I I am going with the self-preservation angle on this. I just think I think this movie has been too smart up into the, up into the Third very act. well no up to the very end to be like their entire thing was to just screw everyone else figuratively not literally <laughs> and yeah. um then to just go off that way because there's like a million ways that you could have gotten rid of this thing. Everyone's like, they should just have had sex with a pilot because the pilot's just flying all over the world all the time. But like, but that's you don't not know the that. There's point. not a guarantee. It's not the like. Right. It's like not the point of the monster. I mean, because right. even even if they've passed it on, I'm still gonna say they have an understanding that at least they're gonna die now. They don't have they don't have this blith childhood of uh, what's his name Hugh beginning of the film. Hugh is the boyfriend Hugh, at the beginning. Hugh. Because when they're playing the Switch Places game or whatever, he looks at the kid. And he's like, the kid has all of his life 
ahead of him. She's like, you're like right. 21, you old fart. What are you talking about? You have most of your life. But he's accepted that too bad. I don't have my all my life. I'm going to die. And then yeah. I don't even have to die by this crazy monster. I could get by a car. Here's what the director says now. about that final shot. We had a couple of variations on it. I think we had some where he was really far back, meaning the character that you see in the far background. Yeah. And then there were some where no one would ever miss him. But we settled on one where he's there, but not too close. It allows people to make up their own mind of what it means. So sure. he's really, every part of this film is just like, eh, whatever you guys want it to be, that's fine. I just wanted to make yeah, a film, and, but, you know, yeah. go ahead and let it, let it. And that sometimes in your own head is where the scariest things lie. Exactly. I was listening to a great yeah. interview with uh, Jeff Bridges, and he was talking about this new book that he's, or not a new book, but a book in, uh, slash theory of uh, philosophy that he's been looking at where it's like instead of uh, pay no attention to your dragons or your demons, it's actually feed your demon. You know, you feed your demon as much as you can so you know exactly what it wants from you. And then once you realize what it wants from you, it's easy to just cut it off, right? And so it's just this kind of the same way. It's very ambiguous of here's this thing. You can interpret it any way that you want to. You can interpret meaning however you want to, but Ultimately, because you're feeding your demon, or in this case, you're interpreting how you want that ending to be, it's your own internal stuff that is more scary than what anyone else from the outside is putting on you. Oh, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, definitely. You agree, Matthew, right? I think so, yeah. And I think that that is the successful, or that's one of the successful tools of a horror story, is allowing each person to provide their own specific idea of what's terrible and what's horrible and what is and what isn't good. And I think that really the way you read this ending is personal and it has a lot to do with your location on the sliding scale of idealism versus cynicism. <laughs> and I feel like, you I don't know if it's, ide- a- I, no, no, no. I don't think it's idealism versus cynicism. I think it's, I think it is protection or, you know, not it's self-preservation or not. I think, but I think that it does come down to Zach believes that they are good people who would never do that. And Steven believes that sometimes you have to do things that you have to do. And those things, I mean, you can't avoid those things. They're awful, but you have to swallow and, you know, push the button and Cameron. Oh, I cannot, I cannot wait until (laughs) Zach has a kid and the kid is like, but dad, can't we have cake and soda for breakfast and for lunch and for dinner? And Zach has to look at this kid and go. Uh, it's really fun, but no. That's easy. Why would you want that? <laughs> you have to First make... First of all, no, you have, every I'm, parenting I, experience is unique. No, every... You know, right. No, 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 no. Uh, every parenting experience is, is not unique because we all have to change diapers. We all have to... No, no, listen. We all have to tell our kids yes and no, and we have to teach them right from wrong. Now, how you go about that is your own choice, but... Uh, the you know if every experience was unique and different, we would not have a million books telling you how to do something that is totally natural. A million books telling you how to do something because people overthink it, because people get wrapped up in. Their no, own what I'm head, getting at when I'm like saying with Zach stuff. is Zach's going to have to reach a point where he has to he has to make a tough choice, right? Where he has to. I didn't fire, make a tough choice. I didn't fire kill somebody. The stranger. Yeah, where you have to decide whether to fire somebody, uh, whether you have to make a choice of you know, giving someone that promotion or letting, you know, someone go or probably telling your kid, no, that's not appropriate. You don't do that to the dog or you don't, you know, you don't do that with your food or you don't do that 
with the toilet paper or whatever it may be. There's some point where you're going to have to put that foot down. And at that point, you're going to go, oh, yes. And I will sit them down when they're the right age of 12 and I will put put this movie in and it'll be like, all right, (laughs) unnamed baby boy wolf. uh, Malcolm. (laughs) Malcolm Wolf. uh, (laughs) Learn from this, Colin. Uh, What did you think about the cinematography of It Follows? Good, bad, indifferent? The very first scene caught my attention and I won't say that it's good because I don't necessarily think of things in the, in the same good or bad, but it's, it's fascinating because in that first scene, we see Annie come stumbling out of the house and the camera does a full 360 around as she goes around and it circles around the neighborhood and comes back around to where she was. And I'm like, well, that was interesting. And then I started watching what the cinematography did. That 360 trick is in there a couple of times. Oh, it's in there a lot of times. And there's the shot where she's rushing away in the 1977 Volvo, and it feels like the camera is way, way in the back on the back deck, and it gives this really nice, weird, elongated alien feel on the the vehicle that makes it feel like you're again in a dream or somehow, you know, looking over somebody's shoulder in a movie. And the the whole setup, just all of the cinematography gives me this vague feeling of unease, this strange wait, I noticed that camera shot and camera shots aren't supposed to do that, Mm. but it's neat. And I'm just throughout the whole film, I kept catching myself being aware of what was happening and feeling like, you know, I'm the, the floating presence, the, the guy who's just above and behind the camera looking in on this dreamlike world. And it really felt, I felt like that kind of engaged me even more because it felt like a weird point of view camera half the time. Yeah, I don't know about a weird point of view. Uh, you know, I would say that for the most part, the it isn't it isn't doing anything surprising in the cinematography. Um, a lot of times, it's just really locking on on a very um, grounded uh, composition. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, you know, it's following the thirds. It's following, you know, it's following the leading lines that take you into the story and around the the place. The 360 camera is is interesting in itself, but I think what really works for this is how um, uh, the cinematographer uh, Mike Giolakis, I believe is how you say his name, um, how he, you know, lights the scenes Mm -hmm. because like up in the bedroom at one point, it's like all purple. And the Mm -hmm. next time we see it, it's all orange. And then when we actually really see it with just sunlight, it's like, oh, so that's the color of the wall. I really think the lighting in this is is really good. And the way that he shapes the scenes with the light Mm -hmm. is, is really Mm -hmm. good and foreboding and creepy. And it's, I I like it from that standpoint, but if you're looking at shot composition, it's very not, it's, it's very grounded for something that's supposed to take, it's not for something, for something that's supposed to take place in a nightmare Mm -hmm. or in a dream world. It's very, it's very grounded. Maybe that's the, you know, the balance between where you've got this non-specific time dream world, but everything is grounded. So therefore it's the equivalent of doing a Dutch angle or something to make you feel uneasy. Cause it's not like they shot it like that weird drug scene in, um, Oh crap. What's it for a dream? No. What's the motorcycle movie? Oh, with, um, easy rider. Yeah. Easy rider. You know, when they do the drugs and, uh, in Louisiana and it's like, (laughs) like the craziest sequence ever. They don't shoot this movie like that at all. It's yeah, it's pretty, and it's not like they, they don't use a lot, a lot of blocking they don't the, use a lot of floaty cameras no. or anything like that no. so you know it's 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 pretty grounded in, in that sense 
but terrifying. I was truly, truly scared yeah. most of this movie. There, I don't. Hmm. You know, I watched this and I was excited about watching it, but I, you know, going back to that rape culture comment that you made earlier, <laughs> yeah, I was a little disturbed by. There, yeah. what there is a non-consensual sex aspect yeah, of absolutely. this whole movie that is somewhat bothersome. So I think the only times I really got scared were when the giant walks through the door into her bedroom, Ugh, which yeah, was which scary. was terrifying. And then that when they're scary. when they are on the beach and you see someone coming in the background and everyone's just talking nonchalantly and everything, and you're like, okay, so did they see her or not see her? Like it looks like did they her see friend. her, or not see her, and then uh the <sighs> soon to be Dead lover gets up and walks away uh-huh. to go do something. And I'm like, oh, they don't see her. Yep. This is going to be interesting because her back is to yep. it. Yep. And so that was that was tense. Mm-hmm. But even the ending, you know, where they're in the pool and they're trying to shoot it in the head, which they know doesn't work. And yet they want to shoot it in Keep the head. In, yeah, I, I don't know. Again, those parts weren't scary. So I would rate no. this as if there's some to me, there's a lot of suspense in this, but there's nothing that really like freaked me out. Oh, I was freaked out from from the yeah. end of that very first sequence. When we oh, see Annie, God. we cut to Annie on the beach in the morning. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, that was scary. And I, we need to talk about the music. But I think that the probably the scariest thing for me, and it was obvious, and we knew it was coming, and they telegraphed it, and they still scared the bejesus out of me and my wife, was the first reveal in Jay's kitchen where it comes oh, out of yeah. the shambling out of the shadows past the kitchen table, peeing itself and just, it wasn't showy. It wasn't flashy, but it was scary as hell. And Steven, you're right because that was a scene that was really enhanced for me by the lighting in the mm-hmm, room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just because when it's coming out of the shadows, first it looks like somebody and you're like, yeah. Oh, okay. What's going on? Then it gets closer and, and steps into thing. the light and you're like, Oh, that's a half naked person. And then you're like, Oh, it's, it's drenched in, in wet. It's mm-hmm. like yeah. a drowning victim or something that has come out. And it's like, ah, that is kind of, you know, it's kind of creepy in that way. But again, it, to me, it's like when I see ghosts like that or spirits or whatever those things are, to me, it always Revenant. makes me think of the Japanese horror kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And so I yeah. don't get as freaked out about it. Um, I don't know. I, there's definitely some moments that made me jump. Yeah, there's a couple jump scares that but made me I, not happy. But for the most part, this was not something that I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, like the omen, which will make you think for weeks and months <laughs> later about uh, what's going on and um, or the Amityville horror or something like that where you have a very uh, ambiguous monster or an ambiguous horror. Like The Shining has ambiguous horror in mm-hmm. there, right? Something yeah. is infecting Jack. We don't know what it is, yeah. right? Uh, this one, you yeah, clearly know what it is because they tell you in in the first five minutes of the movie what it is. Mm. Well, uh, it's in the title. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, and, and it to me, the, the scariness was just the anticipation. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that's like to yeah. me watching um, Blair Witch. The tense moments for me, what I was most scared was trying to anticipate the jump scare when mm-hmm. they're just running through the forest. Mm-hmm. That was terrifying to me. Because thinking about the the horror coming, and this is it, you can see it coming from a distance, mm-hmm. and even the jump scares, like when the little boy it jumps into the yeah, door yeah. broken out, like, I yeah. know it's coming, right? But I yep. also didn't think it would be that far because I already <laughs> saw the giant man, which is just scary yeah. from being so tall. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and the yeah the changing of the the forms is creepy. I I was unnerved or scared throughout most of this movie. And a lot of times when we're doing a Zach on film movie, I'll watch it 
and I'll be doing other things or multitasking and keeping my focus on the, on the movie. But this one would not allow me to multitask. It dragged me back and said, no, 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 you don't get to multitask. You don't get to worry about anything else. You don't get to do, you know, your images for something else. You are going to sit and you're going to watch this. And I feel like it was really, really scary to me, even knowing the tricks and knowing that some of the things that they were doing, like the jump scares were coming, it still worked and it still was scary on a very visceral level. And I really enjoy that. I absolutely loved it follows i'm not a horror movie person maybe maybe i slowly am because i told aubrey i love this movie it's amazing and it terrified me and i already watched it again yeah which for me is like a giant compliment well, maybe this is movie. the thing that you need to send you down that horror yeah, lane right. to really accept this it because for key. me it was you know i've always talked about westerns and horrors and how i really yeah. couldn't stand horror because it would freak me out yeah um and the same way with westerns i just they freaked me out no I, they were just boring <laughs> yeah. until you find that one thing that's yeah. like oh this works for me. Yep. I'm going to go see if there's other stuff in yep. the same vein. So yep. I enjoyed It Follows. I don't think it's my favorite horror movie. I mean, I can name a whole bunch of other ones. But this is a really solid film, and I think people should watch it and then have those discussions of what does the ending mean or, you know, where does this take place in time, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Even though, again, there is the director's intent, which is, nah, you know, just whatever, whatever you want it to be. Yeah. And then there is... Um, what you make of it. the fallacy of the the writer's intent, right? Where mm-hmm. you are you are right. you are putting on that meaning, and I mm-hmm. think the meaning that you put onto the film is is what makes the film really really great or fall flat. Yep. Yeah, I loved it. I am. I might actually buy this in like a physical copy if there's like enough bonus yeah. features. So the just real quick, the cinematographer of this also did Split. Oh, okay. Which is again a very different cinematography. Yeah, yeah. He also did John Dies at the End, which I don't think is a movie we've watched I've on never here, watched but it. I've talked about it a couple of yeah. times. Yeah. So. I've read a novel by the author, which oh, is okay. really another right. one was really good. Cool. Uh, and, you know, I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation on Zach on Film about It Follows. So if you're going to buy a physical copy, where are you going to get that? I'm going to do that through Amazon.com, but I'm when I go there, I'm going to do it through the link at majorspoilers.com. Ah, good idea. It's not going to cost me any extra on doing that, but a little bit of the money will come back to Major Spoilers to help make podcasts like this each and every week next week it is the end uh it, it, it's, it's, the, it's, it's a big it's a big it's break it's a big episode we are going to watch the omen before yeah. i have a baby because steven's a monster well no if i was a true <laughs> if i was a true monster we would be watching rosemary's baby oh okay but no we're watching the omen instead steven is uh is a, is, a, a is, a, is a kind-hearted foe that's <laughs> He's next not the week. biggest monster he but he is still a monster that's next week on zach on film This podcast is copyright 2017 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 